Uh, as we get started this morning, some of you are sinning. I see all five of you Redskin fans out there. Six. You guys are thinking dirty thoughts and bad thoughts, so you guys can come on up. We'll pray for you. I know you came today and you're like, why are all these people wearing these jerseys? Uh, it's tailgate Sunday here at The Journey. We're having a tailgate party after our second service, so we're inviting all of you to come back and be a part of that. We have the moon bounce out. We've got cornhole that's going on. Uh, we've got nine square, which I don't even know what that is, but we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs. We're inviting you to go out and to bring some side dishes and desserts. Uh, but we really invite you to come back out in the big area out there. We're just going to have a blast after our second service. Probably get started around 1230. So we're inviting you to come and to be a part of that today. Um, most of us grow up and when we're young, we, we play a sport or we're a part of some activity, right? And we, we do this for years. And we do this because it's fun to us. Uh, for me, it was baseball. I grew up playing baseball. It was just a thing. That when I was eight years old, I said, I want to play ball. And my parents said, not a problem at all. As long as it's not football, we're good. And so, um, so I started to play baseball. And I played baseball in Little League. I played in high school. And then I even had the opportunity to play in college at Wake Forest University. Well, as I kind of looked at my, my career in, in baseball, when I was in Little League, I was, I was decent. You know, you're starting, you're learning. And it was a beginning point. And then when I went to high school, I, I did all right my first couple of years. My, my senior year, I played pretty well. But then I went to Wake Forest. A couple of years ago, my dad and I were having a conversation, and uh, he said, Chad, we're talking about my baseball career. He said, I used to think you were a really good baseball player. <laughs> he said, in fact, I thought you were above average. He said, but then you went to Wake Forest to play. My dad and I haven't talked in about three or four years since that conversation because, uh, <laughs> anyway, he was right. I wasn't a great ball player when I got to college. I, I was good. And you know what? I settled for good. I was okay with that. I didn't push myself enough to become great. I think many of us, that's where we are in our lives, too. We settle for good. We don't ever really attain to, to get to a greater place. We say to ourselves, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year, and we start losing weight, and we get 10 pounds down, we're like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Or we look at our finances, and we're in debt, and we say, I'm going to pay off my credit card debt, and we, we put this plan in place and this process, and we're, we're paying it down, and things are going great. There's that one little shiny object over there in the corner that keeps saying, hey, come buy me, come buy me, and finally we just give in. Like, you know what, we still got a little bit of debt here, but, but I'm going to go ahead and buy this because we think we're, we're good. Most of us settle for good. We don't ever attain or try to become great in our lives because for us, good is good enough. Some of you probably read this book. Uh, it came out in 2001 by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Uh, in the 2000s, if you're part of any organization, I think you had to read this book. It was part of your reading uh, for that group. And then I had to read it for myself within a church setting. And he talks about these companies that were good, but they became great. And, and within this, this book, he writes these words here. He says, good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. The vast majority of companies never become great precisely because the vast majority become quite good. And that is their main problem. You know, you hear those words, you read them, and you think, that's, that's kind of true. We're okay with good. 
We're okay with good when it comes to our schools. We're okay with good when it comes to business or government. We're even okay with good when it comes to the church. And we're definitely okay with good when it comes to who you and I are. But could it be that God is calling us to something greater? Are we willing to do what it takes to get to this greater place in our lives? Because here's the deal. Jesus promises that there are greater things for us. We just read that a little bit earlier. Let's look at that again here in John chapter 14, verse 12, because we're going to be focused on this verse throughout our series over the next few weeks. It says, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I wonder what that was like when Jesus was having this discussion with his disciples. He's sitting there, he's teaching them, and he says, hey, you're going to do greater things. They're probably like, who are you? What are you talking about? Are you crazy? Uh, Jesus, we, we've seen you do some pretty amazing things. I, I mean, we, we've watched you in that moment where you fed over 5,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. I mean, we're going to do greater things than that? Or we watched you bring this, this person back to life. I mean, <laughs> I can't think of anything more ultimate than bringing a dead man back to life. We're going to be able to do that? We watched that one guy. We know him. He's been there at the gate every single day for his whole life. He can't walk. You went over there and healed him. He can walk now. I mean, those are pretty great things, Jesus. You're going to expect us to be able to do those kind of things? And Jesus says, yes. You can do greater things than me. Now, what is he talking about? Well, for Jesus, he, he knew his time on earth was short. He understood that things were going to end for him shortly. He was going to be gone, and he was going to put all of this burden on these disciples. And what was their job going to be? Their job was then going to be, to, like we talked about last week, to be the church, to lead this movement, to be able to go through life telling people, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about his story. I want to tell you about his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection. Oh, by the way, we met him a few times after he came back to life, and then we saw him go back into heaven. You're going to be able to tell them all of this. And you know what you're going to be able to do that I'm not going to be do, able to do right here in my time? You're going to lead them to eternity. You're going to connect them with me. You're going to do greater things than me. Jesus didn't say you're going to do good things or average things or normal things or okay things. He says you are going to do greater things. So as we look at this verse and as we think about it over the next few weeks, how can we move from good to great, to steal Collins' phrase there? How do we get to this greater things in our life? Well, we're going to be in this series greater, the story of Elisha, over the next, I think, five weeks. And we're going to look at these different times and events that take place in Elisha's life and the impact that it has on us even to this day. How we can move from great or from good to greater. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we've got three verses we're going to read this morning. We're going to look, uh, starting at verse 19, if you uh, have your Journey Church app, you can open that up and follow along. You can get your program out if you want to follow along there. And of course, we have the scripture up here on, on the screen. But 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, here's what it says. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of, it's probably Shaphat, but I like Shaphat. I mean, that just kind of sounds kind of cool. Um, but he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. This is a little bit confusing. 
we have these two names that are very similar, Elijah and Elisha. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, hey, God, why couldn't it have been like Elijah and Jimmy? Because that would have been a whole lot easier to follow along with the story, but it's not. It's very confusing, very different people, and over the course of the day, there's a good chance I'm going to mix their names up. So I uh, just want to go ahead and, and let you know that. We meet Elisha. He's got a job. He's a farmer. And not only is he a farmer, but he's a technologically advanced farmer. In those days when you would farm, you mostly did it by hand. But what does Elisha have? He has some oxen, and he has some plowing equipment. Scholars think that Elisha came from a very prominent family because, one, they're using this in that time period, this technologically, this, this John Deere-type equipment for his plowing. With an ox and with a plow, you could go deeper into the soil. You could bring up more of the nutrients, and so your crops could, could grow better than everybody else's because they were trying to do it by hand. And so he's got this equipment. I mean, this is who he is. His job is to be a farmer. And again, more than likely, he comes out of this prosperous family. Well, he's doing his job one day, and this guy named Elijah walks up to him, takes his cloak off, and then he, he puts it around Elisha. If you know the story of Ruth in the Old Testament, you know that when Boaz went to Ruth to ask her to be his, his wife, here's what he put, does. He, he puts a cloak around her shoulders. That was kind of sort of the, the engagement ring of the time. He'd put it around her shoulders and basically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Well, we, we have that same symbolism here with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah puts that cloak around Elisha and says, hey, uh, I want you to follow me. I'm going to lead you. I want you to be my student, my disciple. Mentors would do this when they were choosing people to follow them in those days. And so this was a very symbolic moment for Elisha from Elijah. But what do we get? What do we know about Elisha? He's, he's not anybody special. He's not a teacher. He doesn't work in some religious institution. He's, he's not a seminarian trying to learn how to become a prophet. He, he's a farmer. That is his job. And in that moment, in that normalness, Elijah comes to Elisha because of God and says, God's got greater things in store for you. Come and follow me. Sometimes in the church world, we use the phrase um, higher calling. We, we say that God has called us to a higher calling. And in 20 years of ministry, I have had people quite frequently come up to me and say, hey, God, God's called me to a higher calling. God's called me into ministry. And outwardly, I'll say, hey, that's great. Man, that, that sounds wonderful for you. I, I hope this is a great, great time for you. And inwardly, I'm thinking, you're going to last like two months. Is that about it? You just don't have what it takes. Now, I probably should tell them that outwardly, but I don't want to burst their bubble in that moment. Um, but, but when we think about that, that term, higher calling, we think that that means going into religious work. We think that means doing something that has to do with the church or being in a paid ministry or a paid missionary. Sometimes God's higher calling is right where we are. It's right where we work. It's in our homes. It's in our families. It's in our marriage. It's in our dating relationships. It's in the community we live in. See, when God calls us to something greater, it doesn't mean that, like Elisha, we're sent off into some religious work, it may mean that greater calling is right where you and I live and work and play in everything that we do. But I do believe that God has called all of us to a higher calling. God has called all of us to something more. And you don't have to be anybody special. We see that with Elisha. 
is normal. He's African. He's a farmer. And yet God calls him into something bigger than himself. Look at verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I find this pretty interesting because Elijah says, hey, um, you know, I want you to follow me. Elisha says, great, I'm going to go to my family. I'm going to tell them goodbye, and I'll be right back. He doesn't say, hey, Elijah, you know, can, can we grab some coffee? Can we, can we talk through this a little bit? He doesn't say, hey, I've got a group of trusted advisors. I want to bring them in. I want to, I want to sit down and kind of dialogue with them over these details. He doesn't say that to them. He doesn't say, let me sleep on it. I'll get back to you in the morning. And, and he also doesn't say, and I think this is an often overused Christian phrase, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. Which usually means, I really don't care what you just said. I'm just saying something spiritual so you would quit bothering me. That's basically what that means. Not all the time, but a lot of times. Let me pray about it. He doesn't say those things. What does he say? He's like, okay, great. I'm, I'm going to go to my family, and then I'm going to come back. Now, Elijah's response is a little strange. He says, what have I done to you? Probably a better translation would go, go and come back. I've done my part. Go to your family. Tell them goodbye. Come back to me. I've done what I've been called to do in this moment. I'll be here waiting on, on you. When you hear that passage, read maybe for some of you it uh, connects with uh, some moments with Jesus's life there's an event that takes place where all these people are saying hey I'm going to follow you Jesus and in fact in Luke chapter 9 verses 61 and 62 you can see those up on the screen this this gentleman shows up and he says hey Jesus I want to follow you I'm going to follow you but I'm going to go back home and say bye to my family and Jesus' response is no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God I didn't do enough research to figure out if if Jesus was connecting this back to Elisha, sounds like it in some ways. But here's the deal. Jesus knows that gentleman's heart. And so when this guy says, hey, I'm going to go say goodbye to my family, here's what I think is happening. This gentleman in that moment's like, there's a lot of people around. This is my moment to look like I'm very spiritual. Jesus, I want to follow you. But I'm going to go home and say goodbye to my family. Jesus is like, no, you're not. Because you're going to go, but you're not going to come back. You're using this as a moment to let people think that you're more spiritual than you are, but you're really not. Jesus knew his heart. Elijah and God knew Elisha's heart. When he says, I'm going to go home and say goodbye to my family, I'll be back, they knew exactly what he was going to do. That he was going to go home to his family, and he was going to tell them goodbye, but he was going to come back so that he could follow Elijah and follow God. When you look at the man in the story in Luke 9, and you look at Elisha, which one are you more like? Are, are you more like this man who says, hey, I really want to be a follower of Jesus. I really want to do all I can to follow Jesus, but, but I got more important things to do. I, I'm okay with normal. I've got an average life. Everything's good for me. I don't really, really want to mess that up. And so I'm going to say that I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm really not going to do what it takes to follow Jesus. Or are we more like Elisha, where we jump in and say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. And I'm going to give it all that I can. I'm going to go tell my family goodbye, but I'm going to come back so I can do exactly what God has called me to. Because God has called us to greater things. But again, I'm afraid too many times we get, we get stuck with good. And if we look back at what Jim Collins said, few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle 
for a good life? How many of us are settling for a good, normal, average life when God has called us to something so much greater? Look at verse 21. It says, So Elisha left him and went back. He, he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha leaves. He, he goes to his family. He tells them goodbye, and he comes back. And then he does two things. First, he slaughters his oxen. You know, I know some of you may be like, oh, I can't believe he did that. Well, that's what they did back in that day. I mean, they, they slaughtered their animals, and they used them for sacrifices. And in this instance, we, we see that he uses it for food. But he slaughters the oxen. But there's one more thing that he does here. He takes his plow, and he burns it. Turns it into a grill. This is the place he cooks the meat from this, this oxen. But, but think about that for a moment. He burns the plow. What's his livelihood? He's a farmer. What does the farmer need? Some oxen, some plows. They're all gone. In this moment, Elisha burns his backup plan. He does this on purpose. He doesn't want to have something that he has to always look back at and say, well, maybe I'll go back to that. He gets rid of that stuff. It's not there so he can actually surrender himself to God. How many of you in here are planners? Like you plan everything. You know from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, everything's going to happen. You know what time you're going to start brushing your teeth in the morning and how long it's going to take. We, that's, that's like the whole group in here. Yeah, I mean, it, we got type A people out the wazoo in this church. <laughs> you're a planner, but you're a planner. Guess what else you have? You got plan B in place, right? And probably C, D, E, and F, knowing a lot of you. You know what you're going to do every single moment of the day. You know what those events are going to look like. And if something doesn't go the way that you planned it to, you know what plan B is going to be. If you start brushing your teeth too late, you know how you're going to make up for it the rest of the day. I mean, you got it down to, to that, that uh, minutia for yourselves. But, but we love black backup plans. We, we absolutely love backup plans. Even if you're not a planner, you love having a backup plan. You like knowing there's something there just in case. I mean, think about our lives for a moment when it comes to who we are spiritually. We'll think to ourselves, hey, if following Jesus doesn't work out, then, then I'll, I'll do something else that fills that spiritual hole. Or when it comes to something like marriage, if, if my marriage becomes a burden, I'll just, I'll just move on to someone else. Or maybe for you, it's, you know, if my eno emotional needs aren't being met at home, then you know what, I'll, I'll just, I'll flirt with somebody at work. Or if my single life's not up to par, I'll just lower my standards. See, we like backup plans. We, we like to think we've got everything planned out and we're, we're walking down the right path. And yet, at the same time, we, we keep those backup plans there just in case. Elisha burns the backup plan. There's nothing for him to go back to, to do. And in that moment, that means he's faced forward with Elijah, but also faced forward with God, that he is, he's put all of his trust and his faith into following God. See, Elisha understood what it means to be in a place of deeper surrender to God. And for you and I, if we're going to move from good, normal, average to greater things, we have to deeply surrender ourselves to God, too. We have to sometimes get rid 
of those plan B's and the backup plans that are there. It may look foolish to other people. It may feel foolish to us. But for us to fully be who God has created us to be, we've got to deeply surrender ourselves to God. And Elisha's story, it's interesting because he follows Elisha. If we fast forward seven years, we find that's the moment he does his very first miracle. It wasn't like he started following God and God's like, all right, boom, go ahead, start doing these greater things. God said, no, 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 no. We're going to take a little time here. Let's see if you're really, really into following me. Let's see if you're deeply surrendered to who I am. So for seven years, he didn't do any miracles at all. He followed Elijah. He listened to God. But in the end, he ended up doing greater things than Elijah because in the end, he did twice as many miracles as Elijah. It was all about patience and waiting that only came from surrendering himself to who God was and what God wanted for him in his life. I truly believe God has called us to deeper surrender. But the question is, how do we get there? This morning, I'm going to give you two next steps that I think all of us can take to fully surrender ourselves to God, where we can move from from good and normal and average to greater things like Jesus talked about. The first thing that we can do, the first next step we can take is that we can get out of our comfort zone. We can get out of our comfort zone. Think about Elisha for a moment. What's his, his comfort zone? It's two really large animals, booties in his face all day, okay? Let's just be honest. Smelling oxen poo all day. That's his job. That's just what he does. This is normal for him. This is his comfort zone. And for you and I, we have those places too. We have those comfort zones. We, we come home from work, and if you've got a garage, you pull into your garage, you shut the door, and you're like, this is my safe place. Nobody can get in. Nobody can come out. I mean, we're all stuck in here. Sorry. We'll get out in the morning when the, the alarm goes off. That's, that's when we're getting out of our house. Or we'll pull up to our condo or our apartment, same thing. We shoot up to our apartment as quick as we can. Why? We, we don't want to deal with anybody else. We want to be in our comfort zone. And for many of us, our homes are our comfort zone. Or maybe it's at work. You, you get to the office building and you go straight to your office because it's got a door and you shut it. And you've actually got blinds on it. You've closed them so nobody can see what you're doing there. You just, you just go in there and you just, you just sit for your 8, 9, 10 hours a day. That's all you want to do. Please don't knock on my door. Please don't, don't come in here and see me. I don't want to talk to anybody. This is my comfort zone. Maybe it's your computer screen. That's the place that you hide. Maybe it's something else in your life. But, but all of us have these comfort zones, these places that we, we go to because they feel comfortable. It's normal. It's average. It's, it's good. And we're afraid to do what it takes to move to greater things. And so it takes us to understand we've got to get out of our comfort zone. Talking about comfort zones this morning, when you walked in, there were these uh, postcards on your chairs and there are a list of all of our life groups that are here at The Journey. If you don't know that there was one there, it means you're sitting on it right now. So you might want to reach under and find it. But, um, but here's why we put those out. We're, we're trying to get people into life groups this year. We've got a great number of people. I think we have about 58% of our people were in life groups in the spring. We're, we'd love to see 75-80% of our people in life groups. We're inviting you to be in part of our life group ministry here at The Journey Church. And so that list is there. But here's what I know what it takes. It takes stepping out of some of your comfort zones to be involved with those groups. They're weird people. They're strange. They're, they know each other. I don't know them. I've seen them a couple times. I really don't want to talk to them again. There's comfort zones there. We want you to step out of that comfort zone. In fact, 
um, we had invited a couple of our couples here at The Journey to share with us their experiences when it came to joining a life group because they had to step out of their comfort zone. And so what we want to do right now, we're going to show you our first couple. Next week, we'll show you our second couple. This is Rudy and Mandy McIlvain. And uh, they shared with us what life groups meant to them, the impact they had, how uncomfortable it made them feel to jump into them, but, but what happened once they did that. So take a look at this video. Uh, it's amazing. Um, it was completely different from what I thought it was. I mean, everyone's great. Everyone's cool, down to earth, uh, share a lot of interest with everybody. Um, I can be myself. That's probably not the best thing all the times. So I talk too much, but um, it was really, it was really great. I mean, they, they, they took us in. I mean, you kind of, you felt comfortable immediately when you got in and it really, it just, it really, it just really felt great. Like you were, you were kind of home in a place you should have been. And we're kind of young Christians, you know, we're still learning. We still have a lot to learn. Um, so I guess, you know, we thought before that we were expected to know the Bible from start to finish and maybe that we were going to be quizzed on things um, or something similar to that. And it's not like that at all. It's <clears throat> we've made great friends in our group that, you know, we spend time with now outside of group just because um, their friendship is so much to us. And, um, and you can be yourself in the group. Um, you know, you can bring every part of your life into the group and you're accepted no matter what. And we're all just <clears throat> trying to continue learning and growing and just becoming better people. Yeah, I miss it some weeks. I'm real, I really like to go and I'm probably the, mo probably the most skeptical and now most optimistic about it is how I feel now. I don't know where we'd be without the life group. Um, because of our life group, we had uh, just a group of support that we couldn't get from any of our other friends or family. So it, our life group got us through some of the hardest things that we've been through. My first hesitation was, it was a, I knew it was a Wednesday night at 6.30 and I was worried that I wasn't gonna get there in time because of my job. That was the first thing. I think the second thought or hesitation was just, um, just the word life group seems intimidating because um, it's a group of people who've been meeting together and who are friends and know each other. And I think just being the new person is a hard step to take. So everybody would be really, really serious and be going into a bunch of Tim Tebow's around there singing Kumbaya and I'd just be learning how terrible I am and all the bad things I do and, and those sorts of things and it would just be kind of a... You were going to bring the Tim Tebow helmet. <laughs> What's what I thought? Tim Tebow's like <laughs> here. Anyway, um, so we invite you to fill out those cards. You can put those on the offering tray when we do our offering time today. Uh, if you're looking for more information about them, you can come find me. There's also more information in your program. But joining a life group means getting out of our comfort zone. Serving means getting out of our comfort zone. 
um, in our marriages. Sometimes it means turning off the TV and watching people who are speaking at us and, and looking face to face at our spouse and talking to them. Maybe that's our comfort zone. Uh, it could be with your kids, whatever it may be. There are things in our life that, that become our comfort zone that keep us from being these greater things or doing these greater things that Jesus talks about. Step out of your comfort zone. The second thing here, the second next step is to decide what plow you need to burn. What plow in your life do you need to burn? Elisha says, hey, these oxen, I know we're buddies, but this is it for you guys. And then he does that with the plows, and he makes this, this cookout place, and they have a big old cookout right there in that day, but he says, I don't want to come back to this. This is not what God's called me to do. This is not who God has, has called me to be. He was willing to give that up. What are we willing to give up? I didn't grow up in a, a church background where we celebrated the season of, of Lent, and a lot of you may have done that. I know I have a lot of friends that did that, but it was always interesting to me because they would talk about it, and like, hey, so what are you giving up for this particular season? And it was always three things. Uh, research will show you it's these three things. It's always chocolate, right, soft drinks, and caffeine, right? Those are the three. Nobody ever says, I'm giving up all my money. I'm just, I'm going to give it all up for the, no, nobody ever says that. They don't say, this. I'm going to give up my house. Nobody does that. So those three things. And so, uh, so you kind of look at that, and you're thinking, wow, that's kind of neat. I mean, you're willing to give that up for this period of time. That's, that's amazing. Until you really think about it. It's not really giving up anything. It's more of just saying like the Luke 9 guy, hey, <laughs> I'm kind of in this, but not really. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to let go of? There are things in our life that are keeping us from being who God has created us to be, that keep us from moving from good to greater things. What are those things in, in our life that we've got to give up? What are those plows that we've got to burn to the ground? You know what they are. It could be your computer. It could be your Netflix account. It could be a line item on your budget. It could be the food that you put inside your pantry and your refrigerator. It might be your kid's calendar. Some of us as parents, man, we just got to take our kid's calendar and burn it to the ground and start over and say, hey, our family's more important than all your activities you're a part of. For some of us, we need to look at our own calendar and say, wow, my job has taken over our life. I don't get to spend any time with you. I don't get to spend any time with our friends. I don't get to spend time with my family, my kids. Why? Because I'm, I'm so involved with my calendar. And I understand. Sometimes you just you can't help it. That's just the way your work is. But... But maybe there are parts of that that you've got to burn to the ground. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that plan B. Why? So that you and I can be deeply surrendered to who Jesus has called us to be. I truly believe that you and I will never be the person that God created us to be if those plows are still around. But we like to hold on to them. We like to make sure they're there. They're comfortable. They're easy. They're simple. But Elisha says, No. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you everything that I have, God. And he did just that. And for us, getting from good to greater means getting rid of those plan Bs. It means burning some plows to the ground to be who God created us to be. I know that um, you've probably heard this before, but this statement that life is a journey, that it's not a destination, You've probably heard that, you understand that. And if you think about that for a moment, it's true. Life is a journey. It's not a destination. And the journey is an adventure. It's a roller coaster ride. There's mountains and valleys. 
There are uh, moments of, of chaos and, and order. There are moments of ugliness and, and beauty. But, but that's what a journey is all about. That's what our lives are all about. Sometimes those of us who are followers of Jesus, we think, I'm going to reach that destination while I'm here in this world. I'm going to get to this place where I'm going to be perfect. You're not ever going to do that. The destination is when we die and we get to see Jesus face to face. The journey is the life that we have right now that we get to live and to be a part of. And God has called us to greater things. Jesus promises us greater things, but it means we have to fully surrender ourselves to Christ. It means we have to get out of that comfort zone that so many of us, we find, we hide behind. It, it means that we have to burn those plows to the ground so that we can fully be who God has created us to be, so that we can live this journey that God has put us on, so that our greater things are only happening here on earth as we share the story of Christ, but what happens later on when we die and again we see Christ face to face. But here's the thing. We get to choose. We can choose a normal, average, good, safe life. And the reality is most of us choose that kind of life. I know I choose that kind of life way too often. Or, or we can choose that deeply surrendered life where we're out of that comfort zone, where we are burning the plows, that we are living the life that God has called us to and created us for. In the end, you and I get to choose. But I can promise you there are greater things if we surrender ourselves to Jesus. It may not be pretty all the time. We may have to be really patient. But Christ promises us greater things if we surrender ourselves to him. You and I get to choose which life we want to live. And so every Sunday when we come here to this place, to this, this church, we take communion as a church community. It's a moment where I think we get to think about that. What choices have I made? Ha have I chosen the, the normal, average, good life? Or do I want the greater things, the great life that Jesus has promised for me and to me? I believe God wants to do greater things in us. And when God does greater things in us, God will allow greater things to come through us too, into the world. And in this moment, as we take this bread, as we take this juice, maybe today is the moment where we finally say, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deeply and fully surrender myself to God. Or I know what that plow is, I'm gonna burn to the ground. Or I know what I need to do to get out of that comfort zone. Whatever it may be for you today, I hope that's the decision you'll make as we do this together.